Luke's gospel account, just before Jesus' ascension back into heaven, Jesus said some startling words. Do you remember the the sequence of events there? First of all, we have a, a group of women who found the tomb empty. And then Peter, remember good old Peter? Peter, hearing the story, ran to the tomb himself as quick as his legs would carry him, and he found the stone rolled away, and he found strips of linen, but of course no body. And then, at least in Luke's gospel account, he appears to two men who are walking, if you remember, on the road to Emmaus. And finally, he appeared to to the disciples gathered together in a room. He showed them the, the scars on his hands and on his feet. And here's what he told them. Luke 24, verse 44 says, Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins we preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In other words, he's saying, here it comes. Here comes the promise. This is is what you've been waiting for. This is what I have been telling you about for weeks. And all you need to do is to wait here in the city until. And here it is. Verse 49, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Our new series is called Clothed with Power, which in Simon's world would be a great time for a whoop. Amen. Did you know, of course you did, did you know that, that, that as his followers, the expectation is that we should be clothed with power, that our Christianity should not be powerless, but powerful. And we should be recognized by the clothing that we wear. Let's spend a moment looking at those two words, clothe and power. The word power, of course, is the word dunamis. And dunamis is what they have just seen in operation all the way through the Gospels, where it all began with the Virgin Mary, Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the dunamis of the Most High will overshadow you. Of course, dunamis is the, is the hallmark, it's the trademark of Jesus' ministry straight after his baptism and temptation. Luke 4 verse 14, it says, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the dunamis of the Spirit. Of course, it's seen through all the miracles. This, this one is the, the story of the woman with the issue of blood, Mark, uh, Mark 5.30. At once, Jesus realized that dunamis had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? 
Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, summing up Jesus' ministry to Cornelius, actually said, Acts 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with dunamis. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were impressed by the devil. Oppressed by the devil, not impressed by the devil. None of us were impressed by the devil. <laughs> oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the word dunamis, it means strength. It means power and ability. Dunamis actually is an inherent power that resides in something or someone by virtue of its nature. Gives us English words like dynamic and dynamite and dynamo. I've always loved those words. So the promise of Luke 24:49 is that inherent indwelling, dynamic, explosive Holy Spirit power that comes from heaven itself. That is the promise. And the crunch is that you disciples, you who are waiting in Jerusalem until you are about to be clothed with it. Which takes us on to the, the second word, the word for clothed, which is the word enduo. And the word enduo means to, to put on or to sink into clothes. We see it used in Colossians 3 verse 12 when we are told to, to enduo a heart of compassion and kindness and humility. We see it again in Ephesians 6 verse 11 when Paul says, enduo the full armor of God. The prodigal son in that story is given the father's robe to enduo. Hugely significant moment. And of course, the imagery of, of putting on a garment in the Bible is very significant. It's, it's more, many times, it, it's more than just a piece of clothing. The, the, the cloak, the garment that you enduo, it symbolizes who you represent. It symbolizes the position you hold, the, the anointing that you carry. Examples of that would be, remember Joseph's coat of many colors? You know, the, the, the reason why the brothers were so irritated and angry with that coat was not just because it was a nice coat. Hey, it may even have had many colors. The reason they were angry is because they knew what that coat, the putting on of that garment, symbolized. Think of the priestly robes, all there through the, the books of the law. Think about the priestly robes and all the symbolism, everything in there that pointed to Jesus. When those guys put on those priestly robes. Think of the messianic prophecies in Isaiah 61. I love verse 10. I delight Greatly in the Lord, my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. And then perhaps the, the, the most telling example of all is Elijah and Elisha's mantle, cloak, if you remember that story. And back there in the Old Testament, Elisha had to be present with Elijah when he died, in order to take possession of the mantle, which was, was the prophet's cloak, 
And that cloak represented Elijah's authority and anointing, which was going to be passed on. It's where we get the expression, take up or pick up the mantle. This is why that, that story of the woman with the issue of blood, she just wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment because she knew what it represented. You see, when, when Elijah ascended, his mantle was passed to Elisha. But when Jesus ascended, his mantle was passed on to his church, signifying the transfer of authority and anointing from one to another. So the point is that, that Jesus' plan for us, Luke 24, 49, was that we should live and minister, NGO dunamis, clothed with his power. So Jesus' purpose was to restore to mankind the, the authority and anointing that it had lost at the fall back in Genesis chapter 3. If you remember back there, man was created in the image of God. He was created to rule over his creation, Genesis chapter 1. He was created to be fruitful and to multiply. But of course, the curse of sin and rebellion and foolishness and selfishness made a right old mess of all that. So one of the main reasons that Jesus came was to restore to us, his people, his empowerment, his enablement. Yes, he came to pay the price for our sins. We're grateful for that. Yes, he came to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to cut a new covenant in his blood. But ultimately, his target was to get the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Why? Because it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that people can exercise his kingdom, rule, and authority. It's only enduo dunamis that we can truly be fruitful and multiply. You know, there's a reason that history is divided into B.C., and AD. And Jesus' life and his, his, his death and his resurrection and, and his ascension shift, literally shifted us from one paradigm into another. It shifted us from, from powerless, godless, sin-ruled life without the indwelling Holy Spirit, shifted us into a radical new way of living. See, before Jesus, the Holy Spirit would, would come upon certain people to enable them to perform certain tasks, mainly priest and prophet and king. But after Jesus, the Holy Spirit would come to enduo dunamis. He would become our mantle of power. We're setting the scene here. This is the introduction to a series that will last for a few weeks. I'm just going to take you on a quick four-stage journey through the unfolding of that. And the first stage on the journey is, is through the unfolding of the Old Testament, the prophets started to see it. Remember, we're talking about this new paradigm to come that Jesus came to set in motion. So in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, the prophet said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. 
Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. That was new news. In the Old Testament, you didn't have the spirit in you. You might have the spirit on you. Ezekiel is saying, now you have the spirit in you. Isaiah 32, verses 14 and 15. Verse 15 is better. Wild donkeys will frolic and flocks will graze in the empty forts and watchtowers until at last the spirit is poured out on us from heaven. Then the wilderness will become a fertile field and the fertile field will yield bountiful crops. And it gets even better. Joel 2 verse 28, familiar I suspect, quoted in, in Pentecost Acts chapter 2. I will pour out, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. So I said the first stage of the journey is the prophets now are starting to see a glimpse of what is to come. Then, of course, Jesus began to teach about it as he, as he gradually, progressively prepared his disciples for this new paradigm to come. John 3, verse 11, this is John the Baptist actually said, I, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then John 16, 7, we'll look at in, in subsequent weeks, I think. But I tell you the truth, Jesus said, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come on you, come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then Acts 1, verse 8, which kind of parallels Luke 24, 49, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and even to Bidford. That's stage two. Stage three. And then, of course, you have Pentecost. Pentecost is the historical moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out, as predicted. We read about that in in Acts chapter 2, just quickly going through that, if you remember, a mighty rushing wind came down and filled the house where, where this group of disciples were, were assembled. It came and it filled the house. It said that tongues of fire literally came, on, sat, came and sat on them. And it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other tongues. And the bottom line is they were radically changed forever at Pentecost. And then the fourth stage of this journey is, is as we start to meander our way through the book of Acts, we see that the disciples, those first Christians, started to live en duo dunamis. Starts in Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. 
one such site, Acts 3, verse 6. It's a wonderful story. If you remember, the, the cripple at the temple gate called Beautiful is begging for alms, not alms, alms. And, and Peter says to him, he says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man, of course, is dramatically supernaturally healed. One of many miracles, particularly through those first 10 chapters in the book of Acts. Paul then, in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, said, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, encouragement to us all, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And as I think about the, the book of Acts, I, I love the way that NGO dunamis completely transformed those disciples. Think about Peter. If you read about Peter early on, he's a, he's a big mouth overreactor. He becomes the denier, as we remember. But by the time the Holy Spirit has filled him, by the time those cloven tongues like as a fire have settled on him, he's preaching a radical, inspired, bold gospel message and has been turned instantly into this miracle-working apostle. Then we have John. John, if you remember, was one of the, the sons of thunder. He was the one who wanted to call fire down from heaven and just ignite them. He was the one who said, or at least his mother said, you know, why, why can't we think, Jesus, we could sit in the place of honor at your, at your left-hand side and your right-hand side when we get to glory? That was where John came from. But then we read about him through the book of Acts. We read the, the letters that he wrote, and he becomes the beloved. He becomes the one who, who defines himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Bit of a difference between that and just ignite them, Lord, with fire from heaven. Third example, of course, we have Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a Pharisee. He was a legalist. He was a persecutor. But NGO Dunamis transformed him into, into Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who became an advocate for grace and reconciliation. So, if the template is NGO dunamis, if that's the expectation, if, if that's the standard, if that's plan A, is that what our lives look like? Is NGO dunamis our experience? Would you say that you were living powerful Christianity? Well, I can't answer for you but I can answer for me. So I'm just going to tell you a quick bit of my own story. If you can imagine me as a six-year-old, uh, my parents and I and my sister and my younger brother, we went on a bit of a meandering journey. Like many of you, I suspect, we started in Church of England Sunday School. Uh, and then we moved, I think when I was about 10, we moved into a Baptist church. And it was there that we were born again. Very grateful for that. It's there that I was baptized at the age of 14. Same day in history as Alison Welland. You know, while we were there, not in the same place, while, while we were there, my, my stepfather was, was healed of Crohn's disease. It's amazing. And so we 
we kind of got a little bit frustrated there. And in the search for more, we moved to a, a charismatic church. And it was there that we were taught about freedom in worship. It was a bit of a shock, if I'm honest. We were taught about freedom in worship. We were told who we were in Christ. We started to be told about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then we met Steve Ryder. Steve Ryder, I've mentioned before, was, is, is, was, is, is an Australian healing evangelist. And he had felt called to come to England, basically. Well, he was English originally, moved out to Australia. And we first came across him. He ran a series of crusades in the Westminster Central Halls up there in good old London. And you know what? It was unbelievable. We saw people genuinely being healed. We saw multitudes sticking their hands up and giving their life to Christ. And my word, did that get our attention? Then actually, in the fullness of time, because the uh, Iron Curtain started to fall and he had inroads into Eastern Europe, Steve Ryder moved to England to be a little bit closer. And he started a, a church really near where we lived. This is around about the time that I finished university. And I got the privilege of traveling with him into Czechoslovakia as it was, and then Slovakia as it became, into Prague and into the little cities around Slovakia. And, and got to witness and then participate in, in the crusades that he held in these ice hockey stadium without the ice. And just to witness, you know, crowds of people, healing lines going all the way around the room, just watching person after person after person being pulled off stretchers or throwing their crutches away. It was life-changing for me. And I remember uh, around about that time, I, I had the opportunity to go and speak at, at a Christian union, an unofficial Christian union event at one university, I won't tell you which one. And at the end of that, I just told them a little bit about what, what had been going on and showed them some videos and some healings. And by the end of that, you know what, there was a whole room of people who were either laughing or crying or lying camped out flat on the floor or a combination of all three. That was 1991. Then, of course, around 93, 94, the Toronto blessing started. My experience was this African man called Rodney Howe Brown. And, you know, it's an amazing, surprising outworkings of the Holy Spirit's power in those days. I told it to me lightning quick tour. Then, uh, in 1999, no, 2003, 2003, we moved to Canada. Uh, and then in 2009, we moved back to England. I've been pastoring since uh, 2003. Uh, and I'll say this. Throughout my ministry years, I've always, I've always sought to be open to the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. The reality is, although there have been moments, there have been glimpses, there have been flashes, there have been weekends away, the reality is I have not seen and I have not yet experienced as much in the flesh as I have in my dreams. See, once you've seen a glimpse of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't go back. But once you've experienced freedom in Christ, his tangible presence in worship, once the Holy Spirit has brought Scripture to life, you simply cannot go back. And here's my little rant criticism. A lot of Christianity, certainly what I experienced in my early years, 
takes you to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Kind of abandons you there and leaves you there to mumble and stumble your way through life. And I say this, why stay camp there when you can have resurrection life? Why stay there when you can have Pentecost poured out? When you can have the act and the epistles? Hey, you can even have revelation. And I think there's a danger. The danger is that we sell the Christian life a long way short of what the Lord purposes for us. Do you know what? You can only go so far without the Holy Spirit. You know, there are certain things you just cannot do and cannot access. You cannot have prophetic insight. You cannot discern. You can judge, all right? But you cannot discern. You cannot know the unknown. You cannot see the future. At least I can't. You cannot heal the sick without the power of the Holy Spirit. I was chatting to my brother yesterday, and he so I this, you can't find healing in relationships. You can't find true growth and breakthrough without the Holy Spirit. You might find some good steps. You might find some wonderful self-help principles, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit, ultimately, that brings transformation. What if, what if the picture of the Christian life that we have painted is black and white, but we in the computer age call grayscale, when it should be technicolor? If you're old enough, you might have seen the movie Pleasantville, in which a couple get sucked through their television set back into the 50s, and everything is black and white and dull, and they start introducing elements of life and freedom and not kind of the right kinds of life and freedom, I don't think. But slowly but surely, things start coming to life and it starts turning into color. I've heard with and without the Holy Spirit described as being the difference between being a caterpillar and a butterfly. Do you want to crawl on your belly or do you want to float on the breeze? Do you want limited and ineffective? Do you want powerful and anointed? Do you want the very best you can do if you roll up your sleeves and give it all the sweat and toil you've got? Or do you want all that he can do? Now, we're supposed to live en duo dunamis. We're supposed to have a life which is energized and inspired and directed and empowered by God, the Holy Spirit. Here's the crux. Being filled with the Spirit moves us from well-intentioned but frustrated Christianity into empowered Christianity. I don't know if you're anything like me. I've done quite a lot of really well-intentioned, but frankly, pretty frustrated Christianity. I'm very happy to leave that behind if the alternative is empowered Christianity. The Holy Spirit can take our, our Christian experience from, from intellectual to experiential. He can take us from empty to full. 
can take us from frustrated to fruitful. It can take us from powerless to powerful. See, it's one thing to have knowledge, another thing to have revelation. It's one thing to have purpose, it's another thing to have inspiration. It's one thing to have judgment, another thing to have discernment. It's one thing to have works, another thing to have miracles. The danger, again, is is that we sell Christianity a long way short of what the Lord purposes for us. Before we wrap up, I'm going to give you three quick illustrations. They might be a little bit trite, but they try to put across what, what I what I mean by this, what I'm seeing anyway. So three examples. The first one is, is the bank looking after your money. So as a kind of, of story, picture yourself here. So someone tells you, you know what, you don't have to hide all that cash under the bed. You don't. You can put it in the bank and they'll look after it for you. Good plan, you say. I think I'll do that. Later, they, they, you see that person again, they say, that, that's wonderful, how's that money doing? You say, good, yeah, still there, safe and sound. And they say, well, that, that's wonderful, but did you know that you can get a debit card so you can buy the things that you want to need with that money? Not only that, you can transfer it online. Not only that, but you can earn interest. Not a lot but you can earn interest. You can take advantage of any number of services and products that that bank and that bank account may offer to you. The point is there are many things that a bank can do for you, but you have to know what's available. And so the message is is not just is the Holy Spirit in my heart to seal salvation till the day I die and go to be with Jesus? Praise the Lord for that. He can do so much more in the here and now. This one isn't quite so deep, but I find it meaningful. One of my mother's friends' husbands had a bit of a midlife crisis. My midlife crisis looked like a pile of donuts. His looked like a brand new Lamborghini. The only problem is the very week he bought said Lamborghini, the town council decided now would be the perfect time to put speed bumps <laughs> on his road. Guess what? <laughs> said Lamborghini would not go over said speed bumps. But the puzzle for me is why, why would you have a car that is most comfortable at 120 miles an hour, I've only been told, when the speed limit is 30. Some of you guys might be able to answer that, I'm not sure. So question, are are we puttering along at 30? Well, we could be flying at 120. The point, do we have any idea of the power within? Third example, this is just me. You know, DIY tasks always look so difficult to me because I never quite have the right tools. I'll have a go, but it's rarely any good. 
And the point is, is why would we attempt to live the Christian life without even beginning to tap into and use the tools that we have been given? And then be surprised when we fall short. Again, Jesus intends us to live en duo dunamis. We're supposed to live a life that's energized and inspired and directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Being spirit-filled moves us from well-intentioned but frustrated to empowered Christianity. Quick look as we wrap up here. One of, of Paul's well-known prayers, Ephesians chapter six, three, sorry, Ephesians 3, verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's what Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. Verse 20, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work, at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might think or ask. Folks, this is how we are supposed to live. This is what they call walking in the spirit. And I'd say this, don't merely settle for, for what the Bible calls walking according to the flesh. Time for NGO dunamis. It's time to step into that new paradigm. It's time to move to a new level. It's time to give the Holy Spirit unfettered access and input. It's time, if you like, to put on that Luke 24:49 mantle. So the aims through this series are going to be something like this. First of all, to show us what his power could indeed should produce in us? It's a great question. Number two, and we'll start this next week, is to see how Jesus modeled clothed with power. We'll see that. Thirdly, it's to help us all to cultivate and to develop our relationship, our walk, if you like, with the Holy Spirit. And then fourthly, and this is where we're aiming hopefully is, it's to open up the gifts of the Holy Spirit to you as individuals and to us as his church. Okay, so how do you respond to that? It's my worship team. If you wouldn't mind coming and getting ready, that would be great. Here's the question. Are you open to the Holy Spirit taking you on a journey? Do you have listening ears and a soft heart? I said this, if any of what I've talked about today makes you a little bit anxious, tell him. I know that a few people have seen some stuff that they have viewed as crazy. You know, they've seen some things that in their insecurity and perhaps in their introversion they found a little bit intimidating. And I'd hate for you to miss what God wants to say to you because you're hiding behind some masks and some walls. So the first way we can respond today, very simply, on our knees, is just tell him and say, Lord, this gives me a little bit of anxiety right here, but I trust myself to you. Hey, I sung earlier, I'm running to your arms, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I pray, Lord, that you will open my eyes and my ears, that you will soften my heart, and you will give me all that you purpose for me as we walk our way through the course. That's response number one. And then response number two is a prayer that says something like this. This is my prayer. Holy Spirit, 
teach me your ways and show me your heart. And would you lead me and would you increase me and would you use me for your glory? And then pray this. I give you permission to do whatever it takes to get me there. A couple of big and bold prayers right there.